Thanks for listening to episode 183 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Sean Devine. Today's episode is a bit different. I was invited onto the uh, Full Stack Radio podcast last week to talk about API-first development, Ember, and Rails. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation, so I decided to share it here. The sponsors for today's episode are Codeship, Thinkful, and Toggle.pro. Before the episode starts, let me tell you a bit more about Toggle. Are you a business that needs a partner to help refine or manage your strategy? Do you need to build a new application or maintain existing code? Maybe you've got raw data that you'd like to convert into business intelligence. Or you might need to build analytics models to improve and automate your decision making. Well, if you've got any combination of those needs, go to toggle.pro and let them know. Also, if you're a developer that's looking for some contract work on the side, Toggle might be able to help. Toggle, switch to experts. I'll tell you a bit more about the other sponsors later in the episode, but here is the uh, Full Stack Radio podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration. I'm Adam, as always, and today I'm talking to uh, Sean Devine, who happens to also host the Ruby on Rails podcast. How's it going, man? Good, Adam. How are you? Great. Uh, So I wanted to talk to you about Ember.js today. So I know in the last... I don't know, four or five uh, podcast episodes that you've done, you've been talking about it a lot more and it sounds like it's something that you're really getting into. And myself, I've always used uh, Angular anytime I've had to go to any of the front end frameworks. And usually I'm using it more to like sprinkle into still server side heavy apps, like stuff that's mostly still living on the server. And the way that you guys have been talking about using Ember has been really interesting to me as someone who's always approached JavaScript that way rather than like building it as its own app. So I was hoping to kind of pick your brain about some of the questions that someone like me, who's never really dug deep into Ember might have and uh, how to kind of get myself thinking in that way and maybe open up to this idea of building really client side heavy apps, because there's some like reservations that I think a lot of people who have built stuff primarily on the server kind of have towards doing things that way. So I think that'd be an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. And like you said, I'm kind of into the topic right now. So happy to talk through it. I don't know that I'm beyond an intermediate on the Ember side, but, uh, um, I feel like I'm maybe a bit, a bit past that on the sort of architectural choices we've been talking about. So yeah, whatever you want to talk about, let's go for it. Yeah. Sounds good. I mean, that's perfect because, uh, you know, if I had Yehuda cats on or something and I was asking him questions about Ember, like, Oh, you know, what does Ember CLI do? I think it would be a pretty stupid conversation. So I think you're in a pretty good spot to kind of bridge the gap uh, for someone like me who has no idea what's going on with this stuff and uh, answer some of these questions. I always feel bad when Yehuda and Tom are on podcasts because they always answer the same like six questions again and again. And here, you know, you could have a super deep conversation with them about just about anything and they never get there. <laughs> so here, th- this will be my honorary fill in for them with for the uh, straightforward questions so that hopefully the next time they get interviewed, they get asked the more interesting stuff. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, Sweet. Right. Cool. So, uh, what was kind of the thing that got you using Ember in the first place? Was there like a particular problem that you were running into with apps that you were building? Yeah, so I, it, it wasn't Ember that I was originally interested in. So em- Ember has been my choice for which front end uh, or sort of like web client framework to use. But the, my interest in the topic really started upstream from there, which is I, I kept seeing... So I work mostly on what people would consider to be enterprisey business-to-business type projects. And 
you know, in, over and over again in those applications, uh, integration with other systems is a, is a big focus, right? So maybe 40% of the usage of the application is a person going to a website and using the application, whether it's mobile or, or desktop, but the rest of it are integrations with other systems, right? So an, another application that a customer or a supplier is using that's interfacing with, with the application that I'm working on. And, you know, when it's a machine that's using your application, um, half the time, the idea that your application would sort of first be built as a web application, like a, a HTML based web application, and then you kind of tack on the API just felt so busted to me. It felt like I was, there was so much possibility that was sort of latent if I had built API first and then built my web client on top of that so that anyone else, whether it was me or a trading partner, you know, whether a, a customer or a partner or a supplier or whoever, that anyone that wanted to build on top of the application could do so. And so, so that's really where I got interested in the topic. It wasn't so much that I was into JavaScript because I'm not really into JavaScript. Although I, a uh, quick aside on that. I've decided that JavaScript sort of like people. There are some people that I'm better off liking. Like, even if I don't like, like them by default, that like my life is better if I like them. <laughs> so I, like JavaScript is that person in my life where I'm like, you know what? I think my life is better if I just decide to like JavaScript. So it's not that I was interested in that, in, in going with a front end framework so much as I was interested in the option value that came with building an API for a server app so that then you could go, um, first class on a web client or a, an integration with another another application for, that, that you have or another company has or a mobile application, whether it's web-based or uh, or native on the, the mobile client, that, that all of those opportunities are like wide open if you go API first. And if you go sort of server-generated HTML first and then tack on the API, you inevitably just don't have your options open, right? You 60% of what your HTML based application can do, your API can support. And then you're constantly going, Oh geez, I didn't expose this thing or it's not done in the same way. So that's a long way of saying that it's really splitting the server and the clients that I was interested in first. Interesting. Yeah. That's like kind of the opposite uh, angle that I guess I've come at it from, but it totally makes sense. Like if you build API first, then your web client is just another client and anything your web client needs to be able to do, you have to bake into the API and add support for it. So it's, it's there for anyone, no matter what. One concern that I've had with like trying to build single page applications, right? Is I don't have a real strong justification for it, but I'm always worried that I'm going to be like duplicating logic on like the client side and the back end. And like the classic example that I think everyone ran into, even when we were just using like jQuery on the front end was just validation, for example, right? Like you want to do client side validation. So you don't have to like do a whole page refresh to give someone back their errors and stuff like that. But either way on the server, you have to do the same types of validation because someone could just, you know, submit an Ajax request manually or send a curl request or whatever and send in whatever data that hadn't been you know sanitized by uh your actual javascript client is that a real concern you think yeah i don't i think it's i think it's real i don't think that there's a great way around it i mean i think in other words there's there are going to be some things that your model knows on the server that you're going to want the model on the client to know also and you know ideally you could get from the server a schema that described those things and then use a library that could take that 
definition of the model and automatically convert it into at least a base set of things on the client. And that's possible. Uh, but I think you're right that there is some amount of duplication that happens. Are you building APIs that are still like pretty thick applications on the on the server side? Or are you trying to build your APIs uh, thinner and more just like a thin layer over top of like a database representation and trying to push as much of the stuff to the front end as possible without having to resort to duplication like that? No, no. I, I would say that the server side is as robust as it needs to be. Because like you said, I mean, the, it, it should encapsulate all the business logic that your your company or whatever it is that you're working on needs to have, right? Because you know, if you were depending on the client to get things right, then you know, the idea that your API could be extended by other people would be all all sorts of broken, right? Because they wouldn't they wouldn't respect whatever rules you would come up with for the clients, and they would do things that would then corrupt the the data or get get you into a bad place. So now that the server has to be completely robust, it just doesn't include anything front end. So no HTML, no JavaScript, nothing. So if you're coming at this from the angle of you wanted to basically force yourself to build robust APIs that can support, you know, multiple consumers are kind of the advantages that come along with the client side framework, like the, you know, the user experience possibilities and stuff, are those kind of just like a happy accident for you? Or is that something that's also driven you to take up that approach? Yeah, it's it wasn't the primary reason that I decided to go down that path pretty aggressively, but it's absolutely been a home run of interestingness now that I have. Like so like I, I now that I'm a little bit further into it, I am equally interested in the kind of application that you can build with Ember as I am the kind of business that you can build if you have a server side sort of separation of server and client uh, architecture. But it, it wasn't the reason that I initially went that direction. That's that's true. So the thing that like you've been talking about with Ember that we kind of touched on here that is interesting to me is this idea of actually like building out an Ember app as like a totally separate like thing, right? Like it's a separate Git repository. It's got its own folder structure. It's not like mixed in with everything. Because the way I've always done stuff with like Angular, it's always been like, you know, I've got like my server side project and then somewhere in some subfolder, there's like a sprinkling of some front end framework stuff. And I'm like kind of applying it in different places wherever it kind of helps out. And usually I'm finding more and more that it doesn't take much as far as the needs that you have on the UI side to justify pulling in something like that. Like it's so fast. You want to be able to uh, submit a form asynchronously or something, or you want to be able to like represent uh, like some nested resources on a form that like you can add and remove a dynamic amount of them or things that are just like so much easier to send to the server as JSON than it is with like traditional post data. Right. Do you find that Ember like can still work in that way, or are you really better off just building your Ember apps as totally separate things? And if you're not doing it that way, you're kind of fighting the tool. I think that what you just said is accurate, that if you are not seeing it as a first-class standalone application, you're doing it wrong. And like, I, I, for example, I think the Ember Rails project is a funny idea, because when I see people post about it, I'm like, oh no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. 
Like, like the whole idea is that it's not bundled up into your server. And the idea that you'd go through all the hassle to combine that your, your rails application, that's sort of the core business logic with your front end application. That should be one of many clients. If you go, or one of, you know, some number of clients, at least if you go that direction, and then you sort of complicate it up by bundling them into the same project, just so that you can have the benefits of one server serving it seems crazy to me. Like it's not, it's not actually hard to have, you know, S3 or any of the, the single page focused, uh, services serve your app. And so the separation benefits are just gigantic. It's just, it's so, so nice. So when you're building something like with Ember then, and you're building it as it's totally own separate app, one thing that I've always like felt uncomfortable with on the client side for some reason is routing. Like for some reason, it's always just felt weird to me that like my JavaScript is like intercepting like changes to the URL and, you know, manipulating the page or trying to prevent like a page reload when I, I type something in. Is that actually how it's working? Or cause I guess. I've kind of come to a realization over the last couple of days that maybe it's not that bad, but I'd like to hear your take on client-side routing in general and what you think about it. Well, the Ember router is just fantastic. I mean, it works in a way that's at least a little bit similar to what you'd be used to from Rails um, if you've programmed in Rails. So you declare your routes um, in, in mostly the same way. I mean, the syntax is a little bit different, but it's similar. I think that the main difference is that uh, they inherit... Um, so you don't just nest them in terms of, of building up the URL, but they actually inherit from each other so that the, the more nested route then inherits from further up the, further up the sort of routing tree in Ember. And then that means that there are some differences, but no, I don't find it strange at all. I mean, Ember, it, it, it totally abstracts away sort of all concerns about routing and it's the thing or maybe one of the two things that the core team is the most proud of is how good the router is. And at least in my experience, I never think about it like at all. Like it's, it's completely like, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of how it's working and that if you rewound 10 years, that that would seem a little bit weird, but so would a lot of things 10 years ago when we didn't have smartphones 10 years ago and we're not staring at our phone all day going, God, how strange that I've got this computer in my pocket. Yeah, I guess like, so when you're doing writing with Ember, is it still like that sort of, uh, you know, pound sign based routing that like we used to see with like angular and stuff like that or is everyone kind of adopting i think there's like an html5 feature that allows you to change like the entire url and have the javascript work with that rather than you know the sort of id approach that people were using before yeah it just depends on what browser the person's using so ember will i mean you can configure this but uh to go either way but by default i believe now it will use the non uh hash based uh url uh, and only fall back to that if it has to from for an older browser. And, you know, some people go one way, some people go the other. I, I, I kind of feel like it doesn't matter. Like, I'm with you, and that, that used to hang me up a little bit, and I thought about it, and then I kind of decided I have no idea why I thought about it. Like, I don't think it actually matters. Yeah, I think, like, the thing that made me start to feel, like, less weird about it the last couple of days, the more I thought about it, was... This idea that instead of thinking of it as like the JavaScript, like hijacking, like how URLs are working in your browser, instead it's trying to like accommodate you by allowing different states of your app to have their own unique URL. And the idea is that, you know, if I'm in the app and I see a certain thing, I should be able to copy what's in the URL bar and send that to my friend and they should be able to open it in their browser and see the same thing, which is something that we didn't really have before. If you were trying to build like rich client side apps that weren't 
you know, interacting with the URL, uh, you'd run into problems like that all the time. Is that kind of how you think about it? Like, does that make sense to you? Yeah. So the Ember team sees the, that like the thing that makes the web great is the URL. And they, they see that as the, um, as sort of like a religiously important idea that, you know, what the web means is that there's a resource located at an address at the URL and that you can take that URL and go to it and get back what one would expect to get there. And that anything below that description is sort of an implementation detail. Like how exactly that happens, um, whether it's, uh, you know, sending that address up to the server or it's, uh, uh, sending that address to the application that's running in the browser that knows how to convert that into what you want to see is a detail. It just doesn't matter that much. And I think they're right. Like, I don't know. I, I still, I've talked to a lot of smart people about this topic and no one's come up with an idea that I think, or, or a comment to refute their position, uh, Yehuda and Tom's sort of core position about this that I found compelling. Like I, I, I buy what they're saying on this one. I think you're right. Like, I think like once you just kind of embrace it and start using it, it stops feeling weird and probably you see the advantage of it really fast. <laughs> um, so I'll definitely have to play with it some more. One thing that I've kind of been worried about, well, not worried about, but thinking about more with Ember is a lot of people say like you shouldn't, you can't really safely do like authentication in like a client side app. So if you're building like an Ember app, that's totally separate from your backend app. Do you know, like kind of the underworkings of how any of the authentication libraries work with Ember? Like what, what's it actually doing to, uh, keep track of who you are and keep you authenticated against the API that's, uh, you're hitting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's not a concern. That's real. Like, I mean, I believe that people have it, but they, and I've heard people say things, but it's not a legitimate issue. So I'll describe how I build things. And, and I, I think this is probably similar to how a lot of people do it. So on the servers that I uh, have been working on recently, I set them all up as OAuth providers and uh, what that does is because if, if you sort of think back to what I said about the server, my main focus is about maximizing option value, right? Like keeping as many options open as possible. So if you go all OAuth, then you've got the option of both having a way to sort of have another server, uh, interact with the application, um, you know, be given permit. They're given permission by the user through OAuth to interact with your application or, if the client side applicant Ember app is directly connecting, there isn't sort of a third party, but it's just direct from the browser to the API. Then you've got a, a direct connection where a username and password would typically work, but OAuth also would support that. So I'll describe how, how that flow works. So if the, let's say the user comes to the login page and it would look just the same as a rails login page would, they type in their username and password. So that gets sent to the server and then you get back a, a token, an access token that then you store in the local storage of the browser, just that access token. And then when you submit the, and there, there are obviously multiple ways to do what I'm saying right now, but this is how I do it in general. Then when you submit requests, you add an, a header to the request that has an authorization header with the bear token on it. So then on the server side, like let's say you're using doorkeeper on the server side, then it will associate that request with the user that's making it through the bearer token. 
and then enable it to do whatever it can do. So that's not any different than if it was a server, you know, a, an entire full app that you were, you had a cookie that was doing the same thing. Yeah. It's the same idea. That's kind of what I've always thought. Like I've never really understood this argument that somehow, um, you know, passing a token back and forth between the JavaScript and the server is really any less secure than passing a cookie back and forth that has encrypted session ID or whatever. It's identical. Yeah, There's no so, difference. So the thing that with like a regular OAuth 2 like password grant, right, is you're supposed to pass the client ID and client secret with the username and password? No, not for the password flow. You don't. You do for if, if, if it's, a, I forget the name of it, but the one where you create an application, sort of the OAuth you'd think of from facebook or whatever then you do but no the password flow is very simple you just send up the grant type is password and the username and password and you get back the uh, token and then the expiration time <laughs> i just worked on this today so it's not like i've got all this stuff on the tip of my tongue in general but i, I literally was working on this this morning so yeah so do you think there's any like i guess there's no real concerns with having that uh, endpoint be publicly accessible right because it would have to be i guess for uh, your Ember app to be able to authenticate with username and password. Like I know people talk about using the password grant flow. Typically you want to reserve that for like trusted clients. So like if Facebook had a native Facebook, you know, mobile app, they could use the password flow to authenticate against their API. But typically you wouldn't, so no one else would really be using that uh, flow because no one wants to type in their username and password for, uh, Facebook when they're, you know, logging into some other site and they want to log in with their Facebook account. Yeah. I mean, the trust, I think the trust issue is between the user and the application that they're using. But in the case of an Ember app, there, the application doesn't exist on a server. I mean, there, it just exists in their browser. So there's no real, uh, it's not like they're submitting it to another party that has to then store it before it's routed then to the the server. I mean, it's going directly from the user to the server. So the, the concern about the third party is, well, there isn't a third party. That's the point. There's only two parties in that transaction, the user and their browser, which is part of them and the server. So you don't have to worry about a third party, you know, and what they do with it because you never gave it to a third party. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Let me tell you a bit about our second sponsor today, Codeship. Codeship is continuous delivery made simple. Codeship is based on usability, so everything is designed to be as easy to use as possible. In fact, Codeship listened to all the feedback that their users gave, and they recently redesigned their entire application. So not only does the new design look better, but it also has a lot of new usability improvements to, to make things even easier than before. You can set up continuous integration in a few steps and automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. Great support for lots of languages and test frameworks. They're integrated with GitHub and Bitbucket, so wherever your code is hosted, you are good to go. And you can deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, or your own servers. CodeShip has a free plan, so anyone can try it out. The uh, free plan includes 100 builds a month and then five private projects. So you can try it out on, on a handful of your own private projects in addition to your open source work. Anyhow, find uh, CodeShip on CodeShip.com and check out their blog. It's quite good at blog.codeship.com to get updates and to get good tips about uh, various programming-related topics. If you use the offer code 5x5RUBY, you'll get 20% off any plan for three months. My thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring. 
another thing with Ember that I tinkered with a little bit when I first started kind of playing with it uh, probably a year and a half ago. I had a, like a little bit of a weekend where I tried to kind of hack on something and see how it was going was uh, Ember Data. It's kind of interesting to me that it's treated as like um, a totally separate project. And I guess it kind of is maturing at a totally different pace and on a totally different time frame. How is that these days? And do you think that it sounds like people are building Ember apps without it a lot of the time, which makes me wonder like what sort of advantages do you get from using Ember data versus just, you know, making regular Ajax requests and, and mapping stuff to objects and memory is, you know, building a basically an ORM, I guess that like works over an API and through HTTP, like it sounds like a really challenging thing to do. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's probably the headline with Ember data is that, you know, Ember itself is a very challenging thing to do. And then Ember data is an entirely separate project. That's a very tough thing to do. Right. And it's, I think that, I think they probably made the right choice seeing Ember data as out of scope for Ember originally, because it's a, I mean, you just described, described it pretty well. It's a very different thing right? Then is, then having a framework to have a rich client side application is very different than a framework to, um, persist data. Um, so I think if I was to audit all of the challenges that I've had with Ember, a decent portion of them would be with Ember data. And I don't think that that's an indictment of Ember data. I think it's not quite as far along. So Ember is very, I think it's gotten to the point that it's fair to say it's pretty darn robust. And, you know, give it a year or two and it'll be further along, but you don't, at least I haven't spent many minutes where I'm like, Oh damn, Ember is, is, has a bug that's getting in my way. Like the thing that's in my way generally is me. Ember data. Okay. Maybe a little bit different. I have run across some things that are challenges. Now, most of those are related to the lack of standardization around how server, like, like what the API should actually be serving. So I'm very into um, the JSON API standard right now. Like I'm sort of fixated on it. And uh, there's a, a gem called JSON API dash resources that I think is super brilliant about uh, helping build server applications that I've been contributing to a decent amount lately. And um, the idea is that most of the related gems like active model serializers or whatever are focused on the serialization of resources into, you know, from active record or from your rails model, doesn't matter if it's active record to JSON. And that if you think about the challenge that you have with um, a client side application like Ember, uh, the dealing with the serialization and deserialization is just like one piece. There's also all of the choices about what if I want to have um, relationships sideloaded? What if I want to filter? What if I want to specify sorting? Like how, um, what about pagination? All of those considerations are things that the, the API needs to have a choice about best case scenario. It's consistent internally, but that may be inconsistent with how other people do it. So, I don't think that the community yet has solved the problem of what is the standard that we can count on for, um, JSON APIs. And now that we're getting close to a one Oh on the JSON API standard, you know, we're seeing tooling like the JSON API resources gem come up so that you can depend on, uh, conventions that are really, really good. And as that happens, then the libraries on the Ember data side or other, other frameworks for that matter that will consume those servers 
will become dependable. So I think we're, we're, I don't think that any of this is an indictment on Ember data. I think we're just seeing the evolution of um, what is required to, to sort of define that API interface in such a way that it's easy to build libraries on it. I know that you mentioned on the Ruby on Rails podcast a couple times uh, some criticisms of the JSON API stuff and mostly around it uh, not being opinionated enough, like a little bit too, well, you can do it this way or you can do it this way. You know, this is fine. This is fine. And that it makes it hard to build tooling around it because of that. Are you, is that kind of getting more uh, opinionated as 1.0 approaches or do you still have some of those same criticisms? No, I think that they've, uh, well, I still have the same criticism, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced that they are, uh, that by the time 1.0 hits, which is, is just around the corner in the next two weeks, probably that, um, many of the maze and shoulds like the optional things, um, and the forks in the road at, at, at all the different places where one has to make a decision that many slash most of them that I thought I just wanted them to make a call. Like I didn't even care which way it went as long as it went one direction so that, the so that we could depend on which way it was going to be so that the the tooling got better those choice uh the, the the two guys that are three guys that are um, most deeply into it uh Yehuda Katz, Steve Klabnik and uh Dan Gephardt they they have made the commitment that they were going to increase the uh, the sort of rigidity of it and uh, I'm really happy with the choices that that I've seen there was just a release candidate too that was posted maybe two days ago that I, I read through. And um, there were some changes. I, I'm actually, I think they were pretty brave about some of the changes they made right at the last minute here, but they were very well thought through and I'm, I'm pretty strongly in back of it. So cool. Yeah. So it sounds like some of the guys on responsible for the JSON API stuff, or at least, um, you know, contributing to it are also involved with the Ember stuff. So that's kind of convenient, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And not coincidentally. You know, I think uh, probably two years ago when they started working on it, they saw this need, which is how the hell are we going to build a you know, like wonderfully robust client-side framework that um, people can pick up and use that has good libraries that go along with it if every single server picks its own path about how to serialize the, uh, not just serialize, how to serialize the resources and also how to respond to actions. And, uh, you know, like, like just take this simple example of, um, uh, filtering, which fields come back. Like, you know, people are not consistent about how they choose, which field should come back in the response or how to sideload resources. And it's very difficult to write libraries if that's not consistent. So they saw back then the need for it. And it's taken a long time because I think it's a hard problem to solve, to try to come up with a standard that a convention that basically gets everyone's needs. Um, Yehuda calls it, uh, his goal for it is to be the anti bike shedding weapon. Just that, that like, there's just so much time lost in deciding over and over and over again, how to structure APIs and that it's not interesting. So why don't we just collectively say, Hey, this is actually a pretty good way to do it. And then 99% of the time, don't talk about it again, which is, I, I love that idea. Totally. Like there's so much power in coming up with standards for things like that, because even just think about like something like a, you know, a coding style guide, right? It's like the same sort of thing, a little bit more of a smaller scale, but, uh, even if I hate, 
putting, you know, braces on the next line or whatever. I don't really give a shit as long as everyone's doing it the same way. If everyone's going to do it the same way, even if it's a way I don't like, I'll just do it that way because then at least everything's consistent and we don't have to worry about it or argue about it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a bit like I'm hugely focused on that same idea. I just don't, you know, there are a million choices to make when building you know, robust applications, as many of those as I can take away or pool my intellect with the community's intellect to sort of avoid problems. I'm all for it. What the hell? Like definitely. Totally. So I was actually going to ask you like how Ember data's opinions lined up with the JSON API, but it sounds like maybe the story is that JSON API kind of was born out of that. Is that true? You know, I think that that's true, although they've diverged a little bit. So if you were to survey all of the Ember apps that exist, my understanding is that the most common, well, well, Ember apps that are working with Rails backends, at least, the most common approach is to use active model serializers and the non-JSON API sort of conformant version of it. And I think a lot of people went with that because there was an adapter written for Ember data for active model serializers that was pretty well done. So it was sort of the, the path of least resistance. I've kind of punished myself in the last couple projects by deciding that even if it was a little bit easier to go that way, that I was uh, completely committed to JSON API. And I've also committed myself to JSON API resources because I I think that the vision is much bigger and not to continually uh, promote Yehuda and Tom, but I'm going to like, they talk a lot about being ambitious, like think big on these sorts of things. And the think big approach is definitely JSON API because it not only covers the serialization, but also the rest of it. And that eliminates just a gigantic amount of effort and adds so much functionality to your API that like I've decided that it's worth it to, to keep on that way. But to, but to your original question, um, they kind of diverged for a while. And now I think 2015 will be the year where Ember data, um, it like the canonical uh, server side approach um, to to build an API that works with Ember data will be just JSON API. But I don't think that that's true right now. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you would put in the effort to kind of tough it out even in these early stages, because as long as that picks up, and I think it will, because there's not really any competing standards or anything, then hopefully that investment will pay off when the other tooling starts showing up to support that approach. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of feel like, and this this may segue into why Ember, but I like betting on people, especially if I also buy the concept. And I think that Tom and Yehuda are good people to bet on. And I think that their belief about Ember is solid. And, you know, I think that JSON API is sort of a similar deal. I like the people. It's, it's you know, I like Dan Gephardt a lot. He's a super smart guy. And I like Yehuda a lot. I think he's super smart. And I think they're good to bet on. Yeah, I think that's makes sense. And I kind of used to think the opposite way. Like when uh, I chose to use Angular for everything, a lot of that was because it was like, oh, it's Google's behind it. I feel like I can trust it. I feel like it's going to be stable. But I think the reality is it's not really like as open source as something like Ember is. It's not really like a collaborative, like community built thing where you have people with different opinions working on different apps trying to build something that you know, can actually work as a real framework that can actually support multiple needs. Uh, you look at something like, uh, you know, Shopify had Batman JS, right? And then they decided to stop doing the really heavy client side stuff and go with like a more server side template rendered approach. And now all of a sudden, like that framework is unsupported and it's totally dead because it doesn't fit their needs as a business anymore. So 
I think it's interesting to frame things that way because I think a lot of people look at something like Angular as being, you know, more dependable or more reliable because of the fact that a big name is attached to it. And I'm starting to see that as actually a negative thing. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I mean, look at Rails. So Rails is uh, an example that we all have experience with. And um, I think that some people get a little bit snarky about everything, including Rails. But it'd be hard to look at Rails and not go, oh, my God, what a, what an achievement of a community. Like, it's just wonderful. Like, in the community, uh, the way that it's not controlled by, you know, any one group. And I think the snark would be, oh, yeah, well, DHH and 37 Signals control controlled a lot. And I'd say that's not really true anymore. I mean, I think that they probably control some of the defaults. But post the MERB integration and things becoming much more componentized, you can easily, like... Uh, it, 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 it's hard to listen to someone say that with a straight face. And then you show them as they already know that in two minutes you can swap out uh, RSpec or swap in RSpec and Hamel and, you know, all these uh, things that DHH hates, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and you can take out, you know, you can take out turbo links. Like, so all the things that people are like, Oh, I don't like rails now because of these things that I don't like. And you're like, listen, seriously, it takes two minutes to change. And, um, you know, I think that that's because it's, you know, the community forced it. And I, I think it showed if, if rails was more really controlled by, uh, 37 signals in the way that Google controls angular, then would it ever have become so, uh, modular and easy to swap things out of? I don't know. Probably not. So I, I like, I, I think that, um, it's hard for a project not to reflect sort of the underlying organizational structure of its core team. And I really like Ember's core team. Yeah. Do you think there's been uh, more of an interest in Ember over the last few months as a result of that shitty mistake that the, those guys at Google made with like announcing that Angular 2.0 was basically going to be leaving anyone else who's already using Angular behind and that there'd be no upgrade path? Like that's what's kind of got me more interested in Ember is like seeing that. It didn't. It didn't hurt. That's for sure. And I think that the it's hard to separate myself from. Like, like, I don't know how much I'm projecting with this comment, so I'll acknowledge that at the front end here. But I thought that the Road to Ember 2.0 RFC, or whatever they call it, that they put out um, about two months ago, which was coincidentally around the same time that Angular came out with the, their 2.0, you know, 2.0 opposite comment. If you have, you know, 45 minutes to read that um, that post on GitHub, it's hard to not go, wow, this, this community and this team just takes their, the, the, their job as the stewards of this framework so seriously. And like when you contrasted that with how Google ha handled the Angular situation, it was hard not to say, geez, I think I'd rather be partnered with the Ember team because of the respect that they show the community. Now, you know, maybe Angular got a little bit of a bad rap or maybe, uh, Ember was lucky in the timing, but I think you're right that there was something to that chain of events. I, I thought that that uh, roadmap that Ember released seemed a bit reactionary to the Angular thing, but it, it was just a coincidence. Total coincidence. That's interesting because there was such a focus in there on like maintaining an upgrade path and like deprecating things like well in advance and, you know, just making it a smooth process for people to continue using the latest versions of Ember that it was just like such a crazy coincidence. Yeah. Substantially written before beforehand, I think, like almost entirely written beforehand. Cool. Let me tell you about our third sponsor today, Thinkful. Would you like to learn how to program Ruby on Rails with a mentor? Thinkful could be a great solution for you. 
Thinkful helps you learn how to program full-stack web applications and host them on Heroku. You'll understand the architecture of Rails applications and gain the skills needed to build a minimum viable product. Now, there are some number of options for uh, uh, online learning and and uh, uh, programming boot camps, so let me tell you a little bit about what makes Thinkful special. Thinkful classes are online and can be accessed from anywhere in the world. On their path toward becoming a developer, every student gets mentorship from a professional developer and joins an active community of learners. Gain access to step-by-step guidance and achieve your learning goals. Here are a few of the features that I think are are pretty unique uh, right from their website. You get weekly mentor sessions held via Google Hangouts, so it's not just typing at your computer, but you can uh, uh, talk to your mentor uh, live and, and see their smiling face. You get a curriculum with clear structure and built-in guidance. You have daily access to mentors through open office hours. And the projects that are part of the curriculum are designed to help you build your portfolio. If all that sounds interesting, check out Thinkful for more information at thinkful.com slash Rails podcast. And a good thing for everyone listening is you get 10% off. So go to thinkful.com slash Rails podcast or follow the link on the uh, the podcast webpage. Uh, so kind of changing gears a little bit, uh, I'd be interested to know what some of the pain points you hit with just switching to, you know, building client-side heavy apps were and things that you didn't really think about that maybe were interesting uh, new things to get good at versus the skills that you kind of had on the server side. Yeah, I think I'm still in this learning curve. So I'll, I'll describe where I am, but I'm not through it. A lot of it is, you know, I, I don't, there aren't a lot of moments on the server side now, like if I'm just building a Rails app, where I feel lost. You know, I mean, of course, all of us have those moments where we blow three hours on a bug that's like one character on a stupid place. Like, like that happens. But for the most part, I just feel competent. Like I don't, think about how to ride my bike and I don't really think about how to to build Rails apps that much. I mean, I think about the domain problems I'm solving and maybe I think about abs- uh, extracting some shared feature. I mean, there are a million things to think about, but the riding the bike portion of it, the, like just get up and going and moving ahead, I don't really think that much about. So it's a little bit jarring to go to to start to learn Ember where you're like ripped back in time to that that first three months or six months of building rails apps where you're like, what the hell I'm, I thought I was doing okay, but then I got three feet off the path and now I feel like I'm in the jungle, <laughs> right? Like, totally. cause early on in rails, like, I mean, if you just veer off at all, you're like, Oh my God, I, don't, I have no idea how this thing works. Yeah. It totally takes a while until you like, yeah. If you're not doing everything exactly the way that they're expecting you to do it, you hit like one weird bug and all of a sudden, like, you have no idea how it relates to the rest of the framework or how to solve it. Or, you know, something that's just like an ingrained best practice that everyone else understands that isn't even something that you could read somewhere or or Google for or anything just takes so long to discover. Like just those sorts of weird things. Yeah. Well, I, I went, so a, a quick aside on this, I, I went uh, camping for a few days this summer with my kids up uh, on the Appalachian Trail in Vermont. And it kind of like thinking about what it was like to first program in a new framework like Rails and what it's like to learn Ember is sort of like hiking on that trail. And that if you're right on the trail, it seems like, you know, things are pretty safe. But like you go 
20 feet off the trail and it feels like you are on a another planet <laughs> right like there's like no humanity <laughs> like you're like i could die here <laughs> and that's what it you know it sort of feels that way a little bit when you're first learning and then you know fast forward a few years and you've built a bunch of applications and you know and say rails or another framework and you realize oh wait a second no this isn't another planet this is just it doesn't even feel that different i can i can fend for myself out here so anyways so learning the the first tough thing about learning ember i think is just the same thing that's tough about learning any new thing which is just you feel it's not hard to get in the deep end and if you're under the gun like if you've got um, time pressures or a deadline that you've got to meet um it's tough to learn it because you're immediately going to feel like, oh my God, I just, I've got to go back to what I'm comfortable with. Like, what am I doing? I'm too old for this. And, you know, maybe it's my personality, but when I have those, I'm too old for this moments, um, like I redouble on this. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, <laughs> this is how you die. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am not too old for life. I am going to keep learning because then eventually it gets that not that bad. So anyway, so, so the first thing is just the difficulty of getting used to any new framework. And I don't think Ember is that unique. The second thing is JavaScript. So it's one thing to say I can hack it in JavaScript if I have to, which is basically where I was. And like, I would use CoffeeScript because it felt more Ruby like, and it, it just, uh, I felt more comfortable. But if you're working on an Ember app, like you're not dabbling in JavaScript, like you're writing a lot of JavaScript. And that was for me, at least a bit of a hurdle because I really like Ruby and I'm good at Ruby. And, you know, and, and I mean, maybe those two things are related, but I, I don't think entirely. Do you find yourself trying to like write Ruby, but with JavaScript syntax? No, no, I, well, I think that I probably do in, unintentionally do that sometimes, but I've, I've decided just to like JavaScript and not try to make it anything other than what it is. So in one way it makes my code better because in, in Ruby, I'm, I'm competent enough that I, I know, you know, clever, lots of ways to do something so I can get a little bit clever now and then. And in JavaScript, that's not the case. Like I just am not that clever in JavaScript. So when I look at the code that I write, it tends to be very straightforward because like, I only know like six things. It's like, it's like early Beatles songs, my Ember <laughs> JavaScript, right? Like I've got, I know like four chords and I just, play those four chords again and again to to achieve my goal and in some ways that's good because you then you go back and look at the code and you're like oh i understand how this works because like i only like i only call 20 methods ever because <laughs> i don't know how to do anything <laughs> yeah uh, i guess it forces you to keep things simple right yeah and there's some benefits so on the ember on ember specifically you know, like beyond, cause those, those things are, are generic to learning a new framework and generic to learning a new language, especially one that maybe isn't, isn't the nicest one like JavaScript, but Ember specifically, well, I think that there, there are paradigms that are tough to get used to because, and not tough in a bad way, tough in actually a good way. So, uh, you, when I started to build Ember apps, it took a, maybe like a, a few weeks for me to realize how much my thinking about how to structure apps and the interaction in apps was dominated by assuming that the, the application itself was far away, was like hundreds of miles away that, that like I had to do something on my page and then like it had to take a trip to Virginia or wherever, and then all the way back to get anything done. And, you know, with an Ember app, the, the round trip 
you know, even though you're in JavaScript executing in the browser and you could imagine, well, that's not that fast. It is so much faster. You know, one, because most people's computers they're running on are faster than the server you've got in the cloud anyways. And two, there's no latency. So all sorts of things that you just never consider doing um, are obvious to do. And I found like the, the, the process of seeing that, that, that instead of thinking about the actions that can happen in my app as only being like crud on the resources in my app, but rather I can respond to any of the events that are getting thrown off by the user. It just completely opened my eyes to how you should think about an application. Do you have any interesting examples of things you've done with that sort of approach? <sighs> sure. Well, I think like validation is a simple example, but a, a good one. In Ember, it's so easy to, you know, the, the data binding is so good and it's so easy, therefore, to have to describe how the application should behave and then have the what the users interacting with be responding like in in an instant to any changes in the underlying um, state of the application that my forms became massively more interesting, right? Because, because they were alive. Like the, the whole idea that the form has to like, for the most part, the user's looking at a document and then occasionally does something and then waits, a, you know, half a second or whatever it is to go to the server and come back. That just idea goes away. Like it, it feels like it's moving. And another thing that I think is a, a good example of that is that in Ember, I'll see if you know what I mean here. So in a Rails app, you think about controllers as being, and really the entire application to some degree, but certainly the controllers as being like built up and torn down in one request. Yeah. Like I'm actually, a, I'm a PHP developer for a living and like PHP only runs that way. Like you spin up a whole new app to respond to a request and then tear it down on every single request. So my mind is definitely used to thinking in, in that sort of language. <laughs> That's so here. I thought you were a rails developer. <laughs> well, uh, f 50 minutes in, I, I, I get a clue. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with rails too. I've used rails, uh, at other jobs and stuff as well. So I've definitely tinkered in both worlds. Okay. So, so this PHP example, you'll know what I mean then. So I got used to that idea where for every request, basically the app was sitting there waiting and then it would build up its entire world to respond to that request and then tear itself down. I mean, not, not, it's not literally doing that, but like close enough. Now in an Ember app, when the app loads, it creates its world, but then it never, it, like you only have that one controller, like the instance of the controller persists for the entire session of it. So like a simple example, like switching, let, let's say you have what you imagine are two different pages. And if you're used to building applications on the server, your mental model of that is that like, they just like, they don't persist. Like if I want to switch the page, I have to go and, and call that resource. And then it renders back. And then if I want to switch, well, then I have to get that one in Ember. When I switch between the routes or the, you know, the pages, so to speak, well, it's instant because they're already built. Like there is no, it doesn't have to regenerate anything. It already generated it. So it just feels alive. That's the best adjective I can use is that the forms feel alive. The navigation feels alive. You can do things in the, doing things in the background, it, which seems super obvious once you can do it, but you don't do it generally because you can't like the, the page doesn't persist. Like, I mean, in a, in a server generated application, the page is the thing. Whereas in a, in an Ember app, like once the app boots, well, until you're gone, you're, you're in the instance of the app and you could be doing all sorts of stuff in the background the entire time. 
And I mean, heaven knows that the the user's laptop can support occasionally calling out to an endpoint and processing some stuff in the background. So, you know, you, you start to yeah, be a little bit more proactive instead of waiting for the user to do something. You have the application do stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. You can like an- anticipate things that maybe they'll be doing and like kind of load other resources like Absolutely. while they're already navigating around the page. You don't have to hold them up or anything. They can still do whatever. Yeah, yeah, because it, it lives and it's gonna in in that instance of the app is going to persist the whole time. So you can treat it much different. You don't have to like be afraid that you know uh, it's it's fragile because the page is going to get re you know reloaded because it doesn't get reloaded it, it the application stays in memory so it's very different so that was my third answer to what was different is just getting uh forgetting many of the things that i had come to treat as second nature because i was building apps that required very long distances to do anything like if you had a like when i lived in new york city in chicago and i have a great grocery store out the door versus living in uh, the country where I have to drive 20 minutes to go to the nice, the you know, nearest nice grocery store, your life changes. Like what you can do practically is different in those two scenarios. And it's sort of similar in, in an Ember app. It's like having a nice grocery store next door or in your house. Whereas, you know, Rails, which I love, I mean, I love Rails and I, I love building server applications. It's still my more, it's like my preferred um, work, but it's it's sort of impractical to have the server so damn far away. It's interesting. I guess you're right. Like it sounds like one of those things where it's hard to almost sell someone on it until they can just kind of do it for a while and like realize this whole other world has kind of like opened up to them. And it sounds like you're really excited about it. Well, I mean, and then you realize you're like, oh, right. Like many of the apps I like are built this way. And I just was willfully ignoring this. Like, like Google Docs, super unbelievable, right? Like completely amazing application. It's just a web app. Uh, I, I use an, I think a more accessible example because people think Google Docs and say like, oh God, like, you know, good, good luck building that. I think, uh, Adam, the, the, yeah, the text not, editor. Not, yeah. The text editor, I think is a good example of how interesting a web app can be because that's a web app. That's true. Actually, it is interesting to think about it in that terms. And if you look under the hood of Adam, it'll blow your mind because you're like, oh my God, it is just a web app. Yeah. And it probably just seems like so simple. Like, oh, I, I, it looks like from the outside, something that maybe you'd never be able to build. But if you were to look at the guts, it's like, oh, like I actually understand all this code that I'm reading and it totally makes sense. And this is pretty cool. What it makes me feel when I look at, you know, a super ambitious app, like one of those two, or even a less ambitious, but pretty well done app. Like I use, um, toggle to track time t-o-g-g-l and i don't think it's an ember app but it's uh it's built like an ember app would be built i'm not sure if it's uh react or backbone or angular or what but like they, they clearly went api first and then built on top and i just i like how it feels it's like it it doesn't it feels like an application it does not feel like a document that's being spit at me from far away People are still concerned about like mobile performance with these sorts of apps, right? And I heard you make like an analogy on the Rails podcast a couple of weeks ago about like, you know, if my phone can run like a 3D game, why the hell should I be concerned that I can't like run a web page, which was a pretty convincing argument to me. But still at the same time, you see people, you know, opting for native apps over like a phone gap uh, based alternative because it still feels like snappier and still feels 
uh, more responsive. Do you think there's actually a performance concern or is it more like if you have the option to go native, native is always going to be better, but like an Ember app running in mobile is still going to run fine as long as you're on a phone that was, you know, released in the last four years sort of thing. I think it's a, I think it's a real concern. I wouldn't poo poo it too much. I think it's become a lot less of a concern, um, in the last two years or maybe a year because the phones are so fast now. Um, and the framework has gotten faster. So the, the, you know, if you just sort of sit still, uh, and the framework didn't get better at all, it would have gotten faster, but it's also improved. But I, you know, I, I don't, it's not something that I would not consider. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons why I like the idea of having, uh, a server application separated from the client is that it leaves your options open on this too. So that like, let's say, um, yeah, like a very ambitious application, like something like Google docs. And you're like, you know what? It's just, it's too much for the phone. Well, if you went API first, that's okay. You can, for now build a native app that talks to the, to the server and then go web once, uh, you know, once you decide that it's worth it and the performance is reasonable, but like the stress about that choice goes to like nothing because you're like, Oh, right. I built a server that can respond to whatever, like, a, you know, Oh, there's a, there's a watch app that that I want to build. No, well, who cares? Fine. No problem. Uh, a, a supplier wants to build an application. No problem. What, whatever you want to do, go for it. It's like the advice I gave to my, my daughter when she went to college. It was like, you know, like, well, you know, what's important. And, and my wife and I listed out all the possible objectives one could have about college. Like, like, you know, uh, learn something that'll make you money, have fun, uh, enrich yourself, whatever. And we decided that the most important thing was to keep your options open. It was to like not box yourself in, in life in those like first two years of college when you're especially idiotic. And like, I kind of think that like, I have the same advice for my own applications that I had for my daughter going to college, which is just like, don't screw it up by boxing yourself in early. Like, you know, build an application that keeps your options open so that if you decide to go, you know, mobile web or native, or, um, even if you went desktop apps, actually, that all those things are completely possible if you went API first and they are not super easy as we've all experienced. If you don't, do you think the, you know, extra effort required, to do that from the beginning is significant enough to be a consideration? Or do you think that generally it's not much worse, especially if you're building something that you expect to be building for a long time? I think that it's, it's somewhat difficult for me to separate the extra work associated with learning a new thing from the extra work associated with the architecture. Um, now that I've gotten a bit faster on the, the front end side, you know, with, with Ember, the cost has gone down a lot. At first it was a major cost. Cause it was like, okay, I could either build the app and like, and not sweat any of the, like how to render or how to deal with forms. No problem. How to, how to whatever, no problem. And then all of a sudden you have an Ember app and you're like, Oh my God, I don't know how to, I don't, I barely know how to do anything. That, that was pretty expensive. That was difficult. But even so, I think it was worth it for the option value. But now that I have gotten a little bit more or a decent amount more competent, I don't think that the cost is that high, honestly. You know, it's, it's not nothing. Like, uh, so, like, do I, uh, here's what I mean by that. If this was a hackathon and you and I were going to this weekend hack away for two days and we had uh, two options, just do a, you know, let's say you were a Rails developer too, or I was PHP. So we're just going to go server side and bang it out. 
or we were going to split server client. In a weekend, I think the server only would probably win in terms of safe bet just because of there are fewer moving parts um, and uh, more familiarity. My guess is that even right now with my skill level at somewhere around two weeks in, I would I would have uh, you know overtaken the server only path and then from there would stay far ahead the whole way. And I mean, how many things that are worth caring about are less than two weeks. And if it's less than two weeks, you know, frankly, build it in basic. Who cares? It doesn't matter which. Build it in whatever you want to build it in. But if you, you got to live with a thing, okay, you know, then longer term considerations should probably rule the day. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what what would you say like you're excited about uh, with Ember these days? Like, what are you excited to do next, or what are the kind of exciting parts that you're playing with? Well, I mean, I'm kind of excited to get good because I'm not good yet, and I'm excited to be as good in Ember as I am in in Rails. Because like I can see what's what's the the head uh, the headroom in Ember is so high. In other words, um, the ceiling is so high, and you could do such amazing things that I want to get the basics down to such a level that I feel like I can start mixing it together into very interesting things. And I'm like somewhere in the middle there. Like I'm past the beginner parts, but not quite to the proficiency level where I feel like I can like just take my vision for something and make it a reality. So I'm mostly interested in that. Like I can now see the possibilities in every app that I built and how exciting they are. Like, for example, I'm about to build something that is, uh, how do I describe this? It's the sort of application that if you, you could have a job, imagine a job where you stared at the same page of an application all day long and, and, like you would be responding to it and it you, but like I imagine literally staring at the same thing all day long, like you were a, like you were a trader or something. It's not what it is, but, and it, the, the idea that like, like if it was a typical rails app, it'd be interesting, but it'd be basically like staring at a piece of paper that occasionally is changing where, whereas if you, if I do it right with an Ember app, it will be alive. Like, I mean, it will fundamentally improve that experience in every direction, right? Like you name it, it will be better. The filtering, the sorting, the alerting, the notifications that you name it more interesting. So that, that's the sort of thing I'm most interested in is, is just taking what I am imagining by looking at other people's work and my own imagination and closing the gap in my skill set so that I can not say, Oh geez, well I would have also done these things, but I just I'm not good enough yet. Cool, man. Well, I think that's probably a good place to cut it off. Uh, we've been going for close to an hour. Um, what's the best way for people to kind of keep up with what you're doing, or uh, you know, find out what you're talking about, or what you're interested in? Two things, I guess. So I'm I'm barely known on Twitter. If someone wants to connect with me there, and uh, you know, if you're interested in in Rails and Ember chat, the podcast, the Ruby on Rails podcast, is uh, is a good thing to check out. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Cool. So uh, show notes for this episode will be able to be found at uh, fullstackradio.com slash episodes slash eight. And if you could rate and review us on iTunes, that'd be awesome. And if you have any feedback or any ideas for other topics or guests, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, just Adam Wathen or the Full Stack Radio Twitter account, or shoot me an email. The information's on the website. Thanks, guys. See you next time.